All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Now, these words uh, are the beginning of a poem that are written by J.R.R. Tolkien. It can be found in the first uh, book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Some of you know that. Others have no idea what I'm talking about. But I guess that many of you have heard that second line. Not all those who wander are lost. You can find it on clothing, shoes, makes for a popular tattoo. It's quoted in songs. There's even song titles with that quote itself. Now, when we think of lostness, to be lost is to be unaware of where you are. Right? You, you can't find your way. There's a certain image of lostness that comes to mind, right? It looks like someone who doesn't know where they're going because they don't. That might have been your experience this morning if you're driving your normal path to the church and the roads were closed. You had to find something you felt lost. And so the quote is popular because it gives a sense of adventure. It pushes back on the idea of lostness. It says that some might appear lost, right? Those who wander and travel as an example, but they might not be. And so the reason I read this quote is because I want to flip it around and say that the opposite can also be true. Those who don't appear lost might be. We're going to see that today. By zooming in on this third of three parables, we will consider that we're all lost. Those who seem lost and those who don't. Now, remember with me the context of these parables. We read it in Luke 15, verses 1 to 3. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, speaking of Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. That's our context. It's really important and helpful for us to understand these parables. The, the religious leaders were grumbling because bad people were coming to Jesus. And so he told them three parables with one main lesson. The, the main teaching, as we considered last week, is that we look for what's lost. We don't look for what's not lost. We look for what's lost, no matter what it is. And when we find it, we rejoice. We heard it in the lost sheep and in the parable of the lost coin. And we see that this teaching built on one another because if a shepherd rejoiced over a sheep that was lost and found in a woman rejoices over a lost coin, how much more a father who finds a son? And all of these point to how much God rejoices and celebrates when a sinner repents, right? When a person who is lost is now found. That was the refrain of those first, actually all three of the parables. How much more do the angels in the presence of God rejoice when one sinner repents? We looked at the lost son last week and we considered that same main point, but what we're doing this morning is considering the extended lesson that Jesus teaches by looking to the older brother who grumbled at the return of his brother. The older brother grumbled just as the Pharisees grumbled. And the connection and the teaching is clear for us to see. In this 
third parable, very clearly, the father represents God. The younger son represents the sinners and the tax collectors, like we just read in verse 1 of Luke 15, who are coming to listen to Jesus. And the older brother represents the Pharisees who grumbled at these bad people who were coming to Jesus. And so I ask, who is bad? Who is lost? All of us. Who is God's love and grace and blessings available for? All of us. What I hope we'll see this morning, this will serve as our main point if you're taking notes this morning, is that we are all lost without Jesus, but rejoice, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. That's our main point. Let me say it again. We are all lost without Jesus, but rejoice, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Uh, Would you pray with me as we prepare ourselves to go into God's word? Father, we come before you once again thanking you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word and asking that you would give us eyes to see you, give us ears to hear your voice, Father God. Encourage and strengthen those who are heavy and broken and weary. Father, comfort those who are feeling deep emotions of loss, Equip us, Father, to see Christ, to glorify you, to be brothers and sisters here in this church. For your glory and for our good, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Now, what we're about to work through is a big text. It's an important passage with lots for us to consider, more than we can in one sermon. And so this morning... Instead of a 35-minute sermon, we're going to be here for an hour and a half. Uh, we'll have a coffee break. I'm joking. If you're new, you're like, What's, wait, is he really going to do that? No, we're not going to do that. But I say that because we're not going to be able to cover everything that's happening in this passage. And we don't have time to stay in it for many, many weeks. And so what I've decided to do, I think this will be the most fruitful way for us this morning, is to read through the passage... And I'll make comments along the way, and then after we've worked through the passage, uh, we'll consider four points as we think about lostness. Four points as we think about lostness. Look with me to verses 11 and 12. Luke 15, verses 11 and 12. He also said, again, this is connecting to the other two parables, right? This is a connected teaching. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Very clear that the younger son has disrespected the father. He he asks for his inheritance while his father is still alive. It, It doesn't take much for us to read in between the lines and hear the son saying, Dad, I'd rather you be dead. My relationship with you has always been a means to an end, and I'm tired of waiting. I want my stuff now. The disrespect is shocking. Again, imagine those original hearers of this passage. But what's even more shocking is that the father gave him what he asks for. In any other case, if a child disrespects their father in this way, 
They're disowned, even for much less than such comments. But not in this parable. Verses 13 to 16. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the, land, the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. This is a picture of lostness, isn't it? He wasted everything he had. He, he spent it all. Now, many people call this teaching the parable of the prodigal son. And so I've always associated that word with someone who goes out and comes back. Or the prodigal son, the one who has returned. Maybe you, you think of it the same way, but the word prodigal isn't describing or defining someone who's returned. It describes the wasteful way he spent everything that he had. Prodigal describes a wasteful spending, a reckless abundance, not caring about what you have and just spending it all. That's, that's what prodigal is. And the, the details of this story really paint a picture of how lost he was. We're told that he left his country. That's not a big deal in our minds because we live in a global world. We travel all over. Many people have lived in multiple countries, and it's, it's common. It's actually even something people long for. But not in that time, especially not in that time, because a person's identity was always connected to their land. Not only did he leave his country, he worked with pigs. Now, again, that might be a dream for some of you, but uh, this kid grew up in a culture and a religion that saw pigs as unclean, as, as dirty. And yet his living led him to work with pigs. You hear this description and you think, yep, he's lost. He's, this, this, this younger brother is very lost. Verses 17 through 19. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up. Go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. We're told he came to his senses. There's a sense of realization. There are two things that we see in the text that brought him to his senses. For one, he was in deep despair. Right? He, he was broken. He was out of money. He didn't have all the distractions that, that money can, can purchase. We can even go back to the detail about the pigs. Imagine being raised, seeing pigs as filthy and as unclean, and yet your life decisions, your spending, your wastefulness, your, your sin has put you in a place in life that you wish you could eat the food of the animal you see as unclean. And so his despair and brokenness led him to his senses, but also his father's goodness. Did you notice that? He remembered and he considered the goodness and generosity of his father. 
He, he considered that those who worked for his dad had plenty. They were well cared for. And so for him to come to his senses meant that he recognized both his great offense and his great need. Right? It's two parts. His great offense against his, fa- against his father and also his great need. Again, remember the imagery in this parable. The father represents God and the son represents the sinner. So what led the son to return to his father? Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 2 that it's God's kindness that led us and leads us to repentance. I love that so much. It's not a burden. It's not an obligation. It's not a command. It's God's kindness. We see that in this passage. Now, notice with me uh, the son's plan. He is going to go to his dad. He's going to confess his sins. Uh, He'll recognize his error. He he recognizes his consequence. I can't be your son. And so I'm going to ask to work for my father. It's not a bad plan. I'm logical. I probably would have come up with the same thing if I had the courage to do that. He's out of options. So he can't expect much more after all that he's done. And yet he knows his father, even though it was a broken relationship, and we'll consider that in just a bit. But he knows that his father is good. He knows that his father is gracious. And so he hoped, kind of as a last resort, that maybe he could begin to pay his father back by working for him to pay him back for what he's done. Verses 20 through 24. So he got up, went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick! Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I don't know about you, but I I read this and I just think it's too much. It's too much. It's too beautiful. It's too gracious. But this is our God. This is the God of the Bible. This father is good. Right? He, he was waiting for his son. He, he saw him from far away and he ran to him. Now, if, if you read any commentaries, I feel pretty confident that any commentary you choose, doesn't matter if they're very conservative or very liberal or somewhere in the middle, if you read any commentary, you're going to notice on this verse that they will make a comment pointing out the running of the father as significant. Remember that the clothing of the day was, was dress-like. It wasn't jeans or athletic wear. Right? And so the father would have to lift up his garments, expose his legs in order to run. So that wasn't common. This is the father. The son is the one who should approach him, not the other way around. And just in general, do you know any Middle Eastern dads that ever run? I'm not on TikTok, but I feel like that would be a good TikTok trend, right? Arab dads that run and just kind of, I don't know, you can start that. Just don't tag the church. We don't want that to come back back on us. The father is good. 
The father is gentle. He hugs his son. He kisses his son. He shows great affection. Again, sadly, not common in our culture. He's gracious. There's no rebuke. There's no reprimand. There is no what maybe is unfortunately become common and expected with fathers or parents. I told you so. There was none of that. His son whom he loved and was lost and is now found. He's back. That's all that mattered. And his father is generous. Good, gentle, gracious, generous. He brought out the best robe. He put a ring on his finger, sandals for his feet. He threw a feast. Tim Keller loved this passage, so much so that he wrote an entire book on it. And the book was titled, The Prodigal God. Now, remember the definition of prodigal. It's not, it's not someone who goes and comes back. It's not about returning after being lost. It's about lavish and extreme spending. And so the son is in the prodigal in this story that the father is, right? He's the one who gives and gives. If there's anyone who's wasteful in this story, it's the father who keeps on giving without worry, without concern. I think of Paul's descriptions in Ephesians. Uh, this description of God as, as he says that God gives according to the riches of his glory. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. He doesn't give out of his riches because out means that he's being deducted. To take from here to there, that means there's less here. But he gives according to his riches. His eternal riches, his eternal glory. Our God is the God who fills cups to overflowing. Our God is the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Our God is the God who didn't even spare his own son. Giving, lavish, prodigal. Now, for different reasons, some will identify more with the younger brother. Others will identify with the older brother. But we can all see ourselves in this aspect of the younger brother. When we fall and when we sin against our Heavenly Father, we feel, and you can agree or disagree, but I, I think I can speak on all our behalf, on behalf of humanity, if you will, on behalf of, of the church even. We feel that the only way back into a right and restored relationship with Him is through work. That's the way of the world. And so that, how's that not the way with God? And so that's what the younger son is doing. He wants to offer his work. He wants to labor and pay off the debt he owed. He knows he can't pay it completely, but at least he can, he can try. He wants a chance. But friends, we can't earn our way back into the family. The only way in is by the Father bringing us in. And that's what we see in this parable. I... Not only does the father bring us in, he does so immediately. The son must have been filthy from working in the fields with pigs. Dirty clothing. Nothing covering his feet. This is in the passage where I think we can safely say he didn't smell very 
good. You know, he was covered with the best robe at the moment he returned to the Father. Friends, this truth is the same for us spiritually. While we have the stain of sin, the, the scars from this world, and the stench of death in our lives, the very moment that we trust in the goodness of the Father, the very moment that we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus, we are covered with the righteous robes of Christ. We're given a ring because we are heirs with his son. A celebration in heaven for every sinner who repents. Friends, I hope that you see that you're not too far gone for God to forgive you. You, you never are. Now, up to this point, the parables are pretty similar. If you were with us last week, you would have seen that. But there is one major difference, which we can keep that towards the end. But here we continue with Jesus' extended point. Again, he's now focusing on the older brother. And so let's read the rest of the par parable, verses 25 through 31. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you. And I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. A couple things to point out very briefly, then we're going to go through those four points, getting into lostness. Just like the father came out to the younger brother, he did the same for the older, didn't he? He invited him in, but the older brother stayed angry. He stayed outside and he wouldn't celebrate. He wouldn't enter his father's house. Now, the Pharisees would have been shocked and angry at this point because Jesus was describing the older brother as lost also. Again, the younger brother clearly lost. Pigs, prostitutes, a different land. But the older brother in this teaching is also lost. Therefore, he's describing them, the Pharisees, as lost. And so that leads us to the first of our four points. Number one, the reality of lostness. The reality of lostness. The reality is that they're both lost. 100% of the father's sons are lost. Everyone is lost. And so, so we're also confronted with the reality that lostness looks different, doesn't it? Again, most of... Uh, most of the hearers would describe the younger brother as lost, of course. He was rude, dishonored his father, he left his land, he wasted his money on things of this world. 
But not many would think that the older brother is lost. And yet, he clearly is. As I was preparing, I, I, I felt that there was a, a word for parents here. And this hits me, uh, it hits me hard as well. Parents, also future parents, those who want to be kids, you can, you can listen in. You don't have to plug in your ears at this, at this time. Don't we all want our kids to be like the older brother? Follows the rules, works hard, doesn't go out or follow the lusts of this world, cares about rights and wrong, probably doesn't smell as bad. Well, it probably does, they're boys. Parents, we need to be careful not to be satisfied with good behavior because that's not the end. It's important to us and it's good for their lives. We want to raise adults who will be successful and healthy in this world. It's our contribution to society. But we don't want to assume that a good outside means that our kids aren't lost. Now, for those of you who call City Bible Church your home, I look forward to seeing our children grow up. They'll grow up in the church and they'll learn the rights and wrongs. They'll have the right answers. So we always want to be mindful of their spiritual condition not just settle for good behavior. Parents and, and those who are listening also, let's pray for parents that God will give us the grace and strength to care above all else that our children know and love Jesus, whether they're older children or older brothers or younger brothers. Now, if we connect lost, being lost, with sin, as the parables clearly do, right? Lost sheep, found same as the sinner who repents, same with the coin, same with this brother, we can see that someone can do good and still be a sinner, right? And so when we repent, again, the Christian life isn't we repented once and we put our faith once, but this is a life of repentance and belief, continual for the rest of our lives, but we need to be mindful that we don't only repent of the sins that we commit, but we repent of the good things we do with selfish and sinful motives because this was the bro brother's, older brother's lostness. So that's the reality of lostness. Number two, the description of lostness. This story shows us that to be lost is to be away from the father, right? So to be in a broken relationship with him. The older brother was near the father physically, right? He, he was there. He was working on the land of his father. The younger son went far away, but both were distant in relationship. It's interesting if, as we look to the text, and it's really heavy to, to note that God's grace drew one son, son to repentance and it hardened the other. Did you see that? What can we say kept the older brother from the father? It was his father's goodness to the younger brother. Again, remember that he's speaking to and describing the Pharisees here. The, the, the main point is that when one who's lost is found, we celebrate, not grumble. But the Pharisees and the older brother grumble at what? At the goodness and the grace of God. Both sons had a relationship with their father, but it wasn't a right relationship, was it? They, they both, in their own way, used the father to get something from the father. He was just a means to an end. 
Now, one did it in a bad way. The other did it in a more culturally acceptable way. But both were lost. Both were after his things and, and not him. And my prayer for us, and I've prayed for you, and let's continue to pray for each other, that we don't fall into that deception. That we don't seek after God for the things he gives, but we seek after God because of who he is. I pray that we grow to see that the presence of the Father is far greater than the pleasures of this world. Number three, the weariness of lostness. Both brothers were in a bad place. The younger was out in the world. He was exhausted, hungry. He wasted away on sin and he, he was lonely, all alone. But I want to focus on the older brother who was also weary. I know many of you will identify with the older brother. I know I do. He did everything right. But when his sinner brother was celebrated, he wasn't able to celebrate with him. It's as if he couldn't hold it together any longer. He, he looked at his life of work with his father, and, and how did he describe it? A slavery. I slaved for you. Right? His, his strict obedience, which he was proud of, which gave him identity, I do the right things, I follow the rules, it wasn't fueled by love. He did all the right things, but his heart was in the wrong place, and so he grew weary. He was obviously burdened by it all, and he was angry, right? But why anger? He's angry because, like many of us, he lived in a transactional world. You see, when, when you live a good life because you feel that you deserve good things and you're living a good life in order to get good things, you will always have frustration and anger in your heart. For, for one, it's because the world doesn't work that way. Right? We live in a world that disappoints. But also, you see everyone as a competitor. You're comparing and judging everyone against yourself. This older brother couldn't be happy for his brother because he felt that he... Excuse me, let me say that again. He couldn't be happy for his brother because he felt that to accept his brother meant that he was, in a way, rejecting himself. He'd understand how he could praise someone else without it putting him lower. He, he was furious because the younger brother didn't, didn't deserve to be celebrated. He's a sinner. The older brother was the one who deserved the party with his friends, right? Isn't that what he said? And yet we know that no one deserves the party. No one is good. Only God. But when we're lost, we just can't see that. How long can I just stay still before it gets awkward? It's not my beard, it's the microphone. There's been a few people that said, your beard. It's just, it's like, no, my beard, by God's grace, is, is growing well. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you would laugh at that. You should be encouraged and, and, and be happy with me. Uh, you're all older brothers. You, you, you know, I'm joking. Um, I think it's a reception thing. We'll just keep going and hope that it doesn't continue. The sermon is almost done. You see, we can't see that no one is good when we're lost. 
we can't see that God is good in the midst of our lostness. And so let me say to you, friends, you don't have to convince God to be good to you. He is good. And he will be good to you. Now, it won't always look the way that you might expect it, which is a good thing. If we got everything that we wanted from God, we probably would look very much like the younger brother. Waste it all. But we can trust in the goodness of God. Now, for some of you this morning, you're not lost in terms of salvation, but you're weary because maybe you've lost your way. You might feel lost in how to make a certain decision. Lost in which direction you should take. Maybe you're lost as you're struggling with sin. So let me encourage you that we are found when we are in Christ. And so look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Find yourself in him. And lastly, our fourth point on lostness, the end of lostness. Uh, when we think of this first parable in these three, the, the lost sheep, lostness ended for the sheep when the shepherd went out and found it. The coin was lost, but the end of lostness, right, the coin was no longer lost when the woman lit a candle, turned up the entire house and found it. What about the younger brother? Did, did anyone go out after him? That's the difference in the story, and it's purposeful, and it highlights something so important. Now, when we read this, yes, as we noted, that the father was actively waiting for his son to return. Right? We saw the goodness of his father that even led him to return. But, but who went out after the younger brother? No one went out after the younger son. But his older brother should have. The firstborn and the older brother is the honor bearer of the family. That's the case of every family, especially in this part of the world. My father is called Abu Marwan because I'm the firstborn. Now, no one calls me this, but I'm Abu Noah because Noah is my firstborn. In biblical and Near East cultures, the older brother played an important role. But the Bible often pointed out the failings of older brothers. Cain, the first older brother in history, killed his younger brother. Joseph's older brothers didn't look out for him, but they mistreated him. We have David with his older brothers. We can, there's many examples. Here again, we see the failing of the older brother. We see the failing of the religious leaders of the time who didn't lead the people to find salvation in God. They didn't go out and bring the lostness. What did they do? They were fine with them being lost because it gave them a sense of self-righteousness and self-worth. They compared themselves with them and they were doing pretty good. Remember last week we considered, you don't need to know much about the Pharisees, but one of the parables in Luke, there's a Pharisee praying to God in the temple and in the middle of his prayer, while there's a tax collector sinner also praying, he said, God, thank you so much for my beard. I imagine people pray and thank God for their beard. See, right? Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And thank you that I'm not like this guy. Or they, they compared themselves. They, they were happy for them to stay in their lostness. 
And so what this parable also shows is that we need a good older brother because we're all lost. And in this teaching, Jesus is showing that he is the older brother who has come after the lost. This older brother in our parable wouldn't go into the fields into another country to look for his brother. But Jesus left his heavenly home to come searching for us. This older brother wasn't concerned with his father's desire for his child to return home. But Jesus joyfully obeyed his father's will to seek and save the lost. This brother was angry with his younger brother. But Jesus, we read, is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Remember with me how we describe lostness based on the text. It's to be lost is to be away from the Father, to not be in right relationship with the Father. And so how is it that Jesus finds us and brings us back? He has to heal the broken relationship. He laid down his life to restore ours. Like the younger son, we have broken the relationship with God. It's because we prefer our ways over his. We, we prefer God's things over God. And the consequence for this rebellion, for this sin, is death. For us to come back from death and for our relationship to be revived, a perfect sacrifice would have to give his life. And there's only one. Jesus. And he sacrificed his life on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. And in doing so, he paid our debt. And he brought us back into right relationship with God. Friend, this morning, if you don't know Jesus as the son of God who died so that you would live, maybe you're having some fresh thoughts. Maybe you're seeing Christ in a way that you haven't seen him before. You're starting to understand. You're coming to your senses seeing your need, seeing your offense, I trust that it's God calling you to him. You might be feeling that you're too far gone. And you might be for the world. You might be for your friends. You might be for your family. You might be too far gone in areas of your life that, that you cannot escape from, lost in sin and can't seem to be found. But Jesus loves you. You're here this morning. He's brought you to hear his word. So if you're feeling that you're too far gone, that you've exhausted God's grace and his gifts, hear with clarity if you forget everything else. It's impossible to exhaust the gifts and the grace of our God. We have a prodigal God who delights in giving. And so look to Jesus. Trust in his finished work. Believe him as Savior and find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to us, your enemies. Lord, we left because we wanted to leave.
We don't listen to you because we don't care about you. And yet you poured out grace upon grace and you gave us your only son. Father, for those who don't believe, would you give them eyes to see Jesus even right now? And for the many of us who do, who know Jesus, Father, help us to see him afresh. Help us to delight in his goodness and his grace and his sacrifice and his love. Thank you for being generous with us because we know and we confess that we are undeserving. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. Do work in our lives and in our church. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.